Morning, church. It's good to be here with you this morning. Merry Christmas to you all. I trust as you prepare to celebrate with your family and friends that you'll keep the true meaning of the holiday season, of the Christmas season, uh, ever before you uh, this year as we approach that glorious day. We have been taking time together over the last few weeks to talk about why we have calls for great peace, great hope, great joy, and today we're going to explore why we have calls for great love uh, this Christmas season. If you remember uh, a number of weeks back, we had given you the opportunity to uh, have a poinsettia uh, put up front here in memory of a loved one, perhaps in memory of somebody who uh, had been an expression of love to you in your life, maybe someone who helped point you and direct you or help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And so on the stage this morning, we have uh, many beautiful poinsettias. And on the back of your note guide, uh, you can take a look. And our goal uh, with this, one of our goals was that we might take the opportunity uh, to fellowship. As we look at that page and maybe we recognize the name of a loved one that we didn't know was connected to someone else in the congregation that they also knew. And, and perhaps there'd be some words of encouragement or some words of hope or some words of love that we could share with each other this holiday season about that individual and how, how they may have helped us grow uh, in a greater love for God and a greater love for each other. You know, there's so many ways that we express our love to each other uh, every single day. I was thinking back to uh, when I first met my wife, and you know in the beginning of a relationship, when a relationship is new and it's fresh, one of the ways that we express our love for each other is by spending time together, by writing each other letters. I remember spending many, many hours on the phone, and, and back then uh, the phone still had cords. And so when, when you were on the phone and you were in your dorm room, you know, you'd try to hide as best you could, but you could only go so far, as far as the cord would let you. Uh, it's much nicer today. We have phones without cords, so we can go a little bit further and we can talk to each other, uh, even when we're a great distance away from one another. And there's, there's so many different ways that we can express our love to each other. You know what we find as we approach the Scriptures, and today as we approach the Christmas story in the book of Luke, what we're going to find this morning are many, many expressions of the love of God wrapped up in the birth of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so friends, our goal this morning is to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20, and to together explore these expressions of God's love that we find in the Christmas story. And we're going to do this this morning by taking our text and breaking it down into three sections. We're going to first look at the birth of Christ at the beginning of Luke chapter 2. Then we're going to go into the announcement of His birth right in the middle of our text. And then towards the end, we're going to see the shepherd's response. And in all of it this morning, together as a body of Christ, we're going to see a magnificent expression of the love of God for us. Would you bow with me this morning as you turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. Father God, we are indeed thankful to be here together this morning to be celebrating this Christmas season, the birth of your son Jesus and what that means for our lives. Lord, as we come to our text this morning as a body of Christ, we come together as a called out people. And Lord, we know that your word is powerful, it's effective, and it's able to change us. 
And though we've looked at this account many, many times together throughout the years, Lord, we know that it, it never grows old. It's so wonderful. It's so magnificent. And as we gather together this morning to study Your Word together, we pray that it would take effect and have effect in our lives. So that as we leave these doors, the world in need might see a magnificent expression of Your love in the way that we live and the way that we speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's read Luke chapter 2. Verses 1 to 20. I'm going to begin in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Now, we have been exploring uh, different accounts of the Christmas story this year through the Advent season. And as we close the chapter of Luke 1 last week, we're kind of left with a hanging question. How will this promised baby, this one that was promised to Mary, this one that was promised to Joseph, how will this child, how will this infant come to be born in Bethlehem? Where this child is born, friends, is vitally important to establishing his identity as the one true Messiah. Look at chapter 5 of the book of Micah, verses 2 to 5. It's on the screen behind me. But you, O Bethlehem, Epatra, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel 
whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. The promised Messiah, he was to be born in Bethlehem, but as we open chapter 2, we find Joseph, and we find Mary, and we find the promised child in Nazareth, 90 miles away from Bethlehem. 90 miles. Without a vehicle, there's no mode of, of gas and engine transportation. There is no helicopter or airplane. Mary's nine months pregnant, and she's 90 miles away from the promised location of Jesus' birth. And so we ask ourselves the question, how is God going to orchestrate the events that will bring Joseph, Mary, and the child in her womb from Nazareth to Bethlehem? And in the answer to this question, we find our first expression of the love of God in our text. And the first expression of the, is this. The birth of Jesus takes place in space, in time, and in real history. Friends, as we sit here today, this is not a myth that we celebrate. It's not some fable. It's not a fairy tale. This is actual historical truth. And in fact, in our text, in the beginning of our text this morning, there are at least 18 references in the first seven verses to places that are real in history, in time, and in space. As we look at the first seven verses of our text this morning, we find a real Roman king whose name is Caesar Augustus. We see that he's asking for this decree, this registration that really happened. There's a real governor whose name's Quirinius. We see real locations, locations that we can still go and visit today that are in our world, Syria, Galilee, Nazareth, Judea, Bethlehem. Friends, these are real places. There's a lineage here that is secure in the line of David who was a real person. Joseph, Mary, and the baby in her womb are real people. There's a manger. It's a real thing. And there's an inn. This really happened, friends. And, and you have to know that in the context of how this is taking place, this is significant. Because it's unlike the Greek mythological gods whose fables were written by entertainers and philosophers. The birth of Jesus, friends, is a, it's an historical event that took place in real space and real time. And it's evidence of God's love. God loves us so much that He would not have us be entertained with fairy tales and myths, but with truth, substantive, real powerful, life-changing, fact-based, historical truth. And God shows us through this reality that He is able to work through men who don't even regard Him to be God. We open the chapter, we have this Caesar Augustus. He doesn't affirm God. He, he doesn't seek to worship God. He's out for His own gain. A registration for the purposes of taxation. 
and for the expansion of his own finite kingdom. It is this king with with these impure motives that God somehow uses to draw Joseph, Mary, and this special child to the promised location of his birth. And friends, it's, it's so important that we recognize this because our faith is different because it is grounded not in fable and not in fiction, but in something that we could touch, taste, see, smell, and experience for ourselves. Historical fact. This is why the book of John, 1 John, John chapter 1 is so powerful. Look at this text from 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning. Now look at these words which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it. We testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we now proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. And this is, this is not it, friends. There's more of, of, of God's love in here in this text this morning, along with the birth of Jesus taking place in actual space and time history. It was also an expression of God's love that he protected and he preserved Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus on their way to Bethlehem. Again, 90 miles away and nine months pregnant now ladies that are in here today just put this in your imagination for a second you're nine months pregnant and your husband comes and says let's saddle up the donkey and go on a 90 mile horseback ride right it's probably not the most exciting thing in the world that you'd be ready or excited to hear and I'm not quite sure if we've considered the implications of what would have been a treacherous journey that Joseph and Mary would have had to take. Joseph, his husband, with his nine-month pregnant wife. And, and let's just take a moment and think about this. Loading up the donkey, going on this adventure. We're in the winter months where it's 30 to 40 degrees during the daytime and colder at night as they make this 90-mile journey. And as you begin, if you look at the top of the map where Nazareth is, we have to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. As you start out on this journey, you start out in what would have been a very flat and open Jezreel Valley where there is little to stop the wind from blowing across the plains. Now, if any of you have ever been to Solanco High School to the football field or the track, it sits in the middle of surrounding cornfields where there is literally nothing to stop the wind and the cold weather. And I think about as they start out on this journey, the flat open fields of Lancaster County and how we see the effects of the wind just blow. And here's Mary, so close to having this baby on the back of a donkey, beginning this journey through the Jezreel Valley. And that's not it, friends. Once you had crossed through the Jezreel Valley, you entered into what was at that time a heavily forested valley in the Jordan River Basin. Look at the middle there in the Jordan River. 
And now remember, historians have written about the lions and the bears and the boars that lived in the forested valley because it was close to, riv- it was close to the river waters where they could find water easily. You're traveling with a caravan that includes all of your supplies for what would have been probably a seven to ten day journey. And because Mary was nine months pregnant, back, back then when you were traveling with the caravan, you could have uh, probably averaged 20 miles a day, but not with a nine-month pregnant wife. It was probably cut in half. 10 to 12 miles a day, seven to 10 days with a caravan. The forests along the Jordan River were inhabited by bandits. And outlaws that would regularly raid the caravans as they were using the route as a trade route or route, depending on what part of the county you're from. (laughs) The caravans also would hold valuable supplies for thieves and bandits, and they enjoyed hiding in the woods and jumping out and raiding them. And if you survive the woods of the Jordan Valley, your final leg of the journey from the Jordan Valley into Bethlehem, is, it would have taken you through a location that was known as the Judean Wilderness or the Judean Desert. Again, women in the room, imagine. And I saw a picture of this the other day because I had to go and look when I was reading about this account. The Judean Wilderness, the Judean Desert, is this crazy, hilly area where the footing would have been difficult, you would have had to go up and down, but it was also known for its colder conditions during this time of year, regularly having freezing temperatures and frequent rains. Some locations were not easy at all to traverse. And again, Joseph and Mary and their caravan are making this journey while she is nine months pregnant. And after a 10, 9 to 10 day journey, they arrive in a town that is crowded and has no room for them to find a place to rest. All of this, friends, all of what they were facing in this journey, and yet God protected and He preserved them through their travels. It's an expression of love. It's an act of love and friends in our lives. Don't we find it to be true that when God calls us to go somewhere or to be someplace that He will always provide the ways and the means for us to get to where He's calling us to go. And, and, and I cannot, this has been a reality that's been so close to our lives and our hearts in this season that we've been walking through and we continue to trust In God's hand because there are some days where we can't see two or three days out in front of what's going to happen. And people ask us all the time, what's the timeline like to bring the boys home? How's it going? Uh, What are you thinking? (laughs) You know, smile on their face. And uh, I don't know. But as I look throughout the testimony of Scripture and I look throughout the testimony of our God in history, I see a God that when He calls us to something, He preserves us and He protects us and He goes before us to get us there, to get us where He is calling us to go. And so we have this birth of Jesus taking place in space-time history. We have this protection and preservation of his family as they journeyed from Bethlehem, but, or to Bethlehem. 
But there's another expression of love that we must not overlook, and it's the way in which Jesus was born. It's the way in which Jesus was born. Jesus comes as a baby. He's born in a stable, and he's laid in a manger. Look down at verses 6 to 7 of Luke chapter 2. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now friends, let's just take a moment and gaze at this reality. Your Savior, my Savior, He came to us as a baby. He was born in a place where animals slept, The creator of the universe, the maker of the animals, was laid in a trough that was used to feed them. Jesus, fully God, infinitely powerful, yet in these moments found as a baby, momentarily powerless. How amazing. And what does this reality convey to us? It conveys to us, friends, that we have a Savior that's accessible to all people he's accessible to all he didn't come and he wasn't born in a palace where only kings and noblemen could come and see him that's not the reality of his birth he was born in a manger no matter the economic or social or political status the savior of the universe was found in a place that was accessible to all a miraculous conception leads to a normal labor and delivery of a supernatural baby born into a peculiar circumstance and laid in a tool used of farmers to feed their animals. This is Emmanuel, friends, God with us in every way that we could possibly imagine, accessible to us, mighty to save us, to accomplish his mission, coming as an infant, totally reliant on his mother and father, yet not for one second any less God. Physically sustained in the womb, just as we were, friends, through an umbilical cord. Have you thought about that? Yet somehow, being fully God, never needing to rely on anything or anyone for life outside of himself. Never never was he less than omnipresent, yet somehow we see him in a single location. Friends, this is one of the greatest paradoxes of our Christian faith. Fully God, yet fully man. Perfect humanity and undiminished deity. One of my favorite authors, writers, theologians, John Calvin, explains this reality beautifully in his Institutes of Christian Religion, and and I can't say it any better, so I'm going to quote him. Quote, For even if the Word, in His immeasurable essence, united with the nature of man into one person, we do not imagine that He was confined therein. Here is something marvelous. Here it is. The Son of God descended from heaven in such a way that without leaving heaven, He willed to be born in the virgin's womb, to go about the earth and to hang upon the cross. Yet he continuously filled the world, even as he had done from the beginning. End quote. And I thought, man, if I could put that emoji up on the screen where 
the person's head just goes. That's a lot to take in. But it's amazing, friends. Fullness of God. Fullness of man. He's wrapped in flesh. And he's, did you ever think, not only is he wrapped in flesh, but in this moment, in this story, he's also wrapped in swaddling cloths. Now, I remember when Brighton was first born and the nurse came in. You know, the, the nurse, they're like rough with the babies. You're like, careful, you know? Like, and they like, like put him on the bed and she gets this blanket and she's just like, you know? And, and he's like laying in there like this. And you're like, he can't even move. She's like, they like it. And you're like, really? You know, like, I don't think I'd like it. So like, you're looking, and, and I'm just thinking like, this is Jesus wrapped in flesh and wrapped in swaddling cloths. And it's just such a picture of of his humanity, yet never less than God available for us all. And in the next portion of our text, it can't be made any more clear. Not any more clear because, you know, you would think when the king of the universe, the savior of the world is born, the angels would want to go to the most powerful and important people in the universe and tell them all about it, but they don't. Where do they go? They go to the shepherds. It's an expression of God's great love for us that He first revealed the birth of His Son to the shepherds. Look at verses 8 through 10 this morning. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Friends, shepherding, this was a humble, humble profession. In fact, a lot of people in this society, they were involved in agriculture. And one of the things we know to be true about sheep is they eat Right? They eat and, and, and sometimes it was appeared that they were kind of a nuisance because they would wander around and they would eat some of the things that farmers were trying to grow. And so there was a, even a little bit of animosity between the shepherds and some of the people who were working in agriculture and trying to grow things. This was not a profession for a man of nobility or great wealth being a shepherd. And here in the same region where Jesus has been born, these men, they're out at night. They're keeping watch over their flock. It's a particularly dangerous time because, of course, at night is when the predators come out and you have wolves and you have these other animals that could come and take the sheep and carry them away. And as they're watching the flock, they're startled by a disruption in the heavens that fills them with great fear. Have you ever been startled before? I just did this to somebody yesterday, two days ago by accident. We had a guy, he was coming to our house to pick something up and, and when he got to the house, it was raining. It was on the rainy day the other day that we had. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to make him get out of his truck and come in. I'm going to go out and give him what he came for. And he was sitting in his truck, and he was looking down at papers in his truck. And I tapped on his window, and I, I thought his head was going to go through his roof. I mean, he jumped straight up. He was startled. Now, I think when he looked at me, he wasn't sore afraid like the shepherds. I think when, when he knew who I was. So when the shepherds looked... And, and they, they see this stranger, this angelic presence. The, the word really, friends, is they were terrified. 
They were terrified. This is, this is like the kind of fear that causes you to either freeze, fight, or run as fast as you can. Run away. And the angel appears for them, to them and he terrifies them. But the first thing he says is, is do not fear. Do not fear. You know, nothing like this had been public and available for men like this, for shepherds like this, to have been seen since in the Old Testament. Since the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, there's this, uh, this glory of the Lord that had not been seen for so long that was appearing all of a sudden in the heavens to these humble shepherds. And when the shepherds see the glory of the Lord, they're confronted with the reality that something incredible has happened here. That he would come and he would proclaim this message to shepherds, it's further evidence, friends, that he is a God who is accessible to all, to all. And now I think there's really something interesting going on here, and, and, and thank the Lord this week as I was reading this, I was looking for some things that connected, and I, I saw at the beginning Caesar is attempting to reconcile all people unto himself. But he's doing it for the purposes of taxation and the increase of his finite and limited government. But here as the angels come to the shepherds, we see a God who was providing a payment that would be able to reconcile all of humanity unto God towards the infinite and unlimited government of peace that his son would usher in. Do you see the two different types of reconciliation that are happening here in our passage. One is finite, one is infinite. One is a reconciliation from a king, from a man, and one is a reconciliation of a king to all mankind. That would be for our salvation. That would be for our peace. Now we have a God who has good news of great joy that will be for all people. There's a Savior available He's powerful. He's able to reconcile all people unto God. And of the increase of his kingdom and peace, there shall be no end. And the reality quickly moves us to another expression of God's love that's seen in our text this morning. It was an expression of God's love that the child who is born is our Savior, Christ the Lord. Look at verse 11 of our text. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. How magnificent, friends. That in the same city of King David's birth, King Jesus would be born. How sacred a city. How special a place. Is there any place in the world that you can think of where two more magnificent people have been born than in Bethlehem? A sign that he gives expresses the humility of this birth that was given to men who in humble professions could clearly Relate, And what I find is so excited here, so exciting in this text, friends, is that the excitement of, of the heavens in these moments is uncontainable. And the joy of the heavenly host spills out into fountains of praise before this audience of shepherds, 
Friends, a Savior is born unto you this day. A Savior is born. And if we sit here today and we have a relationship with God through Jesus, the last line of verse 14 should define our lives. We have great peace because of God's great love towards us. And if we sit here today, and we, we alluded to this last week, we mentioned it, that if we sit here today and we have a relationship with Jesus, that we have found favor with God because of Jesus, our Savior. God is pleased with us. Jesus makes God pleased with us, friends. And as, as I think about that, and perhaps as you think about that, doesn't that lead you to a place that should in these days alleviate all of our stress, all of our doubt, our worries, our concerns, our fears, the feelings of shame and guilt, the burdens that we experience. We have peace with God because of Jesus. And, and we have things in our life that happen that we don't see coming sometimes. And we have things in our lives that happen that sometimes cause us to have great fear. But we can walk with peace. And we can walk with hope. And we can walk with joy. Because we have a God who through Jesus has expressed His great love towards us. Because of Jesus, friends, God is pleased with us. He's pleased with you. He's pleased with me. And it's all because of Him and His sacrifice. And so we often ask ourselves the question as we come to the conclusion of our text in the morning, how should our lives look in light of these realities? In light of the great love that God has shown us, that He's expressed to us in the birth of His Son, how should our lives look? And I love the beautiful example of the shepherds in our text today, in the last five verses, the example of the shepherds is so powerful to us. Look at these last five verses of Luke 2. We're going to look at verses 15 to 20 and, and see the example of the shepherds. When the angels went away from them into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So how should our lives look in light of these realities we should follow the example of the shepherds, friends. We should be careful to be obedient to go where God sends us. He comes to the shepherds. He tells the shepherds exactly where to go. Go to Bethlehem and see this magnificent thing that has happened. And what does the text tell us they do? And not only do they do it, but they do it with haste. Let's go. Let's do it. I mean, I'm sure they had a lot of what ifs. Who's going to watch the sheep? You know, who's going to protect them? I don't know. Maybe one of the angels will stick around. The sheep have guardian angels. I don't know. You know, but I'm sure they had lots of questions and lots of what ifs. And, and the same is true in our lives. You know, as we, as God calls us to things that are sometimes scary, sometimes difficult to think through, to be obedient 
and to follow the example of the shepherds and to walk in obedience towards what God has called us to with haste, with haste, not waiting, going, not waiting until all the what ifs are answered, till all the questions dissipate because we're going to just keep having more and more and more, but walking in obedience as the shepherds modeled in verse 16. Also, the shepherds were careful to use the words that the angels told them, that God told them to use when they went. Look at, look at verse 17. When they came and they saw, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the, the child. Friends, when we go and we're obedient to go where God's calling us, it's important that we use the words of God when we get there. And not our own words. You know, there's a lot of thoughts and a lot of ideas today out there about all kinds of things in this world and there's all kinds of books we can read and places we can go and google searches we can search and all kinds of things we can do but the safest place in the world that we can come from to answer the questions that plague today's culture is the word of god it is the word of god friends and The example of the shepherds is powerful that when they go, they don't make up their own story. They don't say what they just want to say, how they feel, what's on. And I'm sure they had all kinds of feelings going through their hearts and their minds about what had happened and about what they had experienced. But when they go, when they get there, they speak the words that they had been told to speak. And friends, we have a revelation from God today. It's His Word. And it's powerful, and it's effective, and it's life-changing, and it's the safest place that we can come from when answering the questions of this world that we live in today. And finally, in verse 20, the shepherds were faithful to give God the glory and to praise Him for the work that He had done in their lives. Look at the example in verse 20. The shepherds returned to their jobs, to their places of employment. They went back to work. They went back to work, back to the sheep. And as they were returning, they were glorifying and they were praising God for all that they had heard and all that they had seen as it had been told to them. And friends, it's a great example to us that whatever God does in our lives, whatever He accomplishes, whatever great work that He is doing, that He's performing, that we are sure, that we are careful and faithful to make sure He receives all of the glory and all of the honor and all of the praise. And, and to come to that place, friends, we have to understand that it is indeed the Lord that is doing it in us and through us everywhere we go and everything we do. As our team comes forward this morning to lead us in one final song as we celebrate this Christmas season, I'd like us to consider this. If we are here today, if you sit here today and you have a relationship with Jesus, my prayer for you is that you would experience this peace, this joy, this hope, and this love in this Christmas season. But if you sit here today, friends, and and you've never began a relationship with Jesus, you've never started a relationship with Jesus, you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, my prayer for you is that He would draw you to Himself so that you could experience this peace, this love, this joy, and this hope. Maybe you sit here today and you're, it's such a foreign idea for you what these things are. My, my prayer for you is that He would open your heart to understand His love. It's available to you, friends. It's accessible to you. Team, would you lead us?